0: Mike is a speaker, podcaster, and game show host at Playful Humans. He is also the director of community engagement at Sandler Training. As you'll see in today's episode, Mike is super passionate about the power of play. Welcome, Mike. How are you?
1: I am doing well. So glad to be here. I love aha moments. So I'm looking forward to this. Excellent. Well, I want to hear your journey and some
0: of the aha moments that have helped you become. A super passionate person about power of play
1: yeah, I mean, there are so many, like I, I said I, I love these, but there it was one big one for me, and, and so when I was growing up, uh, a couple of interesting things happened around my formative years at, at about uh, you know middle school six, sixth to eighth grade there and Uh, One is I got a chance to be on the radio and and pretend to be a a radio station manager for a a day. Uh, Another one was... Uh, my mom won a a computer in a radio station contest in like 1986. So this is before people had a whole lot of personal computers. They were thousands of dollars and uh, she happened to win one. And that was before you uh, had any games or apps and windows uh, on computers as well. So I had to learn how to program it, to use it and to get on the internet news groups or, or get it to do anything. And those two things kind of swirled together to to influence the rest of my life. And uh, I'm getting to the first aha moment here, but the in high school, I was like, well, I don't want to be a nerd and just, you know, be a computer programmer and sit in a room by myself behind a computer all day. I want to be cool. I want to be on the radio. I want to be an entertainer. So I pursued that and I worked my way up through radio and entertainment, DJing in bars and clubs. I... Uh, open for Billy Idol. That's another story you can ask me about and, uh, got my own show on the radio and guess what the job is sitting in a room by yourself behind a computer all day. <laughs> and I was like, oh no. Uh, but the good news is uh, uh, it paid a fifth of what computer programmers make. <laughs> and so that was kind of my first aha was that the the job of radio or the the dream of being on the radio is not the same as actually doing it for a career. And I found that I love entertaining people more and hearing somebody laugh or seeing them smile is a lot different than, you know, seeing maybe one red light flash on the phone lines because somebody called in and was like, Hey, that was, that was funny. And you're like, uh, thanks. <laughs> I'm glad somebody <laughs> liked it or was listening. Uh, and that was a big aha for me that I really love human connection and, and playing with people and, and having fun rather than, um, anything virtually. I, I don't find that as satisfying for me.
0: So what did you go after, uh, after you realized that you didn't want to be on the radio in
1: a room? So I moved to an advertising agency first. And this is aha number two for me here was um, my dad was a, a sales trainer and public speaker. And I didn't think in my 20s that I could do that. It was uh, late 20s at that point, And I was like, well, I can't go into a business owners or a sales manager's office and be like, here's what you should do with your your sales team. I'm 27. I have no idea. I've never sold anything before. So instead I moved to an advertising agency and did internet marketing and websites. And I walked into business owners offices and said, Hey, here's what you should do with your uh, internet marketing. (laughs) And it took me about three years. So it's my 30th birthday to go, Oh, you idiot. Like it's the same thing. You've studied and you have experience that business owners don't have. They're worried about how to be a plumber or an HVAC technician or to sell cars or insurance or whatever. And they're not thinking about how to sell and market their business. They're not reading all the books that you're reading and and listening to all these, these talks and experts and, and studying it. And sometimes even when they can, they don't have my entertainment skill set and public speaking background to articulate that to other people. And so I kind of found one of my superpowers there is translating nerd speak into human language or making things simpler for people in a way that's approachable and fun that they can understand. And so I think that was really you know, step number two for me that, that was big.
0: But I'm actually hearing another aha moment in there, and that is that you know, now that you're uh, more experienced and older, what would you tell the younger Mike when he started saying, you know, I don't know if I can do this. I'm not sure. I mean, what would you tell that young Mike now uh, having, you know, had some uh, experience behind, you now?
1: Yeah, that is a a big one. Imposter syndrome is huge. It still is for me today, even though I've had a lot of successes uh, in my career. Sometimes I think success can, it can be even more uh, inflating to like, um, that imposter syndrome, right? Cause you're like, well, that was too easy. And who am I to have the success or, or why did that work? And these other things didn't, and you start questioning stuff. And so, um, to younger Mike, I think I would just say that like, everybody has those thoughts. E- everybody doubts themselves, even the most powerful and successful people, uh, on the planet. And the second thing I would say is, um, don't try and, and work too hard. And this will, will take us to maybe our, our third or, or fourth aha here is uh, I think I was in such a hurry to get to someplace that that once I got there in my career, I realized that there's nothing there. Like if you can't find happiness where you are, you're not going to find it in the next place, <laughs> right? You take that that with you. And I think that's a a huge lesson for everybody, but it was a a big one for me that, especially when I became successful or I got the roles that I thought that I wanted when I was in a teen, like even the radio, uh, but also being a leader or vice president or getting on a big stage, they never seemed to quite live up to the dream or what I had, you know, in my mind of what I thought success would look like. There's always another rung on the ladder. There's always another ladder to climb or something else. And, I found that to be dissatisfying way to live, if that makes sense.
0: So what does success look to you now? What does it look like to you?
1: You know, it's really great. And I I think this is the, the last, you know, our latest big aha for me is um, in the pandemic, I discovered play research and so it, is really interesting to me that our society talks about hard work and grinding and especially in an entrepreneurial space, right? You have to hustle and there's this whole hustle culture and you have to work 60 hours. And most of the research that I found now that I've been looking into this for, it started before the pandemic. A couple of years before that, I was looking into creativity and, um, and that led me to the, the play research. But the play research was amazing that if you work uh, more than 60 hours for more than six weeks in a row, you actually start producing less than if you had just worked 40 hours the whole time. And I thought, well, how could that be? You, you slow down so much, your brain and your body and your, your productivity slows down so much that even with 20% more time, you're producing less and you get less creative Uh, so you're working harder, you, you know, kind of try to brute force things rather than stop and solve problems and a whole bunch of bad things happen. And I thought, well, if that's true, what else is true that way? And when I looked into the play research, it's almost everything that salespeople that are happier sell 30% more than salespeople that are trying harder uh, and to work harder. And you're like, wow, that's weird. And it turns out that people that play are healthier. Uh, they, you lose weight because you move more or you don't have the stress hormones building up cortisol in your, in your body and, and uh, adrenaline that's causing you to, to mess up and, and stress out and, and just ruin your body. Um, people that play more smile more, so they are ranked as more attractive. And, you know, it's not a great thing, but more attractive people get more job opportunities. They get more dating opportunities. Uh, they have all kinds of other advantages of being more approachable and getting uh, better work among teammates and things. Even when you just have a better attitude, it creates this positive spiral that impacts all the rest of the parts of your life. And so I just kind of went on this thought to experiment and the aha of what if it Didn't have to be hard. What if life was easy and fun? And what if what um, you're missing is that everybody else is telling you it has to be hard. But in my life, the things that I love are the things that I get rewarded for and paid the most. I get paid when I'm playing, when I'm on stage in front of people, when I am uh, connecting with other human beings in in an emotional way. Not when I'm doing grunt work and I'm filling out spreadsheets and and stuff, right? Computers can do that faster (laughs) than we can now. But what we really need is somebody to be creative and and interesting. And and that really was a big aha for me.
0: So when you talk about the power of play and the playful human, tell me exactly what what do you mean by that?
1: Well, play is an interesting thing. And so I have a kind of a complicated definition, but I'd run through a couple of parts for you. One is, obviously it sparks joy. When you're doing something that you enjoy, you do it better and you actually work a lot harder at it. So some people say, um, you know, if you find what you love, you'll never work another day in your life. I think that's BS. Uh, we all still have to pay our taxes. We all still have bad days and days that we're tired and, and don't feel like it. Or we, you know, we have a client, so we have to deliver for a client or a deadline or, or something. But when you do something that you enjoy, you actually end up working harder at it and you try more. There's a, a great study on luck that says that people who consider themselves lucky actually end up being more lucky because simply because they try more. So if somebody says, oh, I'm unlucky, I'm not going to win the lottery, they never buy a ticket, right? And if somebody says, oh, I am lucky, they they keep buying tickets and they're like, Oh, that's weird. I didn't win this time. So let me try again. Uh, I should have won that because I'm lucky and they end up being lucky simply because they're trying more and play ends up in a very similar space where if you're being playful, you're attracting more opportunities. You're continuing to do it. I think about, uh, when I was a kid and I don't know if, uh, Darshan, you had any of these, uh, experiences growing up, but, we would do very elaborate things to keep the play going, right? You, you could divide teams and you'd work as a team or we'd build a fort and we'd spend days or, or weeks, um, you know, building something in the woods or, or, you know, building a snowman or a sandcastle. We did a lot of hard work to be able to play with our friends right? And so we went, did a lot of soccer practices to be able to, to get to the game, but we enjoyed all of that along the way. And I think that's what people are missing. They're missing that it's not all sunshine and roses. It's that when you're playing, you're engaged in this activity that is lighting up your whole body. Your, your brain's on fire, your, your body's in a positive, healthy stress state, and not a freaked out emotional fight or flight stress state. And all of those open up more possibilities for success for you.
0: That's interesting. So do you think play leads to the right mindset or you have to have the right mindset
1: to play? Ooh, uh, that's a good question. I would say play leads to the right mindset based on the scientific research. So what happens is uh, when you start playing, your brain switches the chemicals. So when you're stressed out, you get that fight or flight adrenaline rush of like your body clenches up and rigid is the best way to describe it. Your brain focuses on the one best option to keep you alive and you lock in and even your eyesight narrows and your focus narrows in front of you and your body tenses up to be able to run or, or fight or do what it has to do. When you're in a play state, the opposite is what happens. Your brain releases chemicals in the brain that are, uh, Natural opioids that open up your creativity and relax the body. So your body relaxes, your muscles get loose, you, you're you're in that warmed up state, right? If you've ever played a sport, you know where it is where you start to get into that flow state and you're like, oh, I can move, I'm feeling great. I release all these positive chemicals that pain goes away, your brain opens up, your eyes open up, you look for more possibilities, and you start getting more. Creative and more insights by opening up rather than closing up. And so I would say that you can play first. You can force it a little bit to get into that play state. But if you're waiting for your mindset to be playful, it's going to be, a, it could be a while, right?
0: So I guess it's, it's easier to play than it is to say, I need this mindset. But I think what you're saying is once you start playing, that mindset kind of just comes in anyways. And then that's what leads to the other positive domino effects of the combination of the play and the mindset.
1: Now I will say there are some uh, thought experiments and things that people do in the play world to get you in the mindset first. And you do have to be willing to play. So one of the aspects of play I didn't talk about yet is it has to be voluntary. You can't force somebody to play just like you can't force somebody to fall in love with you or something. That's their own emotional state. So you do have to be, open to a play experience in order to like it. We've all, you know, been at a comedy club or something when you're in a bad mood or somebody's trying to cheer you up and you're like, look, this isn't happening. I don't care how funny you are. I'm, I'm upset right now, you know? Um, So I think that is a key to think about what are some possibilities? How could I be more creative or how am I looking at this the wrong way and give yourself permission to let go of that stress. So I'm a big fan of mindfulness and meditation and other things to kind of get back to center. But sometimes center or neutral isn't enough. You want to get back over to that positive play side of, of joy and uh, stress and some really cool things that happen when you're fully engaged. But I, I do think sometimes that mindfulness meditation or just thinking about what you're feeling helps you reshift that back to a more positive mindset. What do you find are the three
0: biggest road bumps people encounter or even create when it comes to play
1: experiences? Oh, man, this is a a tough one because there's a lot to unpack here. I'm writing a a book about all of this, and this is going to be a whole chapter. But I I think there's big things here. Number one is just society. We've created this uh, society based on uh, Puritan work ethic and uh, economic basics. So when the industrial revolution came, we needed people to be machines. We needed them to work in uh, a factory and on an assembly line for the Ford plant. And we needed them to be a machine, but that's not what we're designed to be. (laughs) We're designed to be creative and, and playful. And so it took a lot of indoctrination through school and the media and commercials and other things to tell you like, oh, if you just work hard, if you just be this machine, it will pay off eventually and you can play in retirement. So it all started around 1900 that um, we needed people to be machines. But now it's been over a hundred years of us selling that message. We really have to break that cycle. And then say, no longer, we have machines and computers to be machines. <laughs> we don't need humans to do the the physical work of machines anymore. We need them to be creative, spur connections, build cultures and and values of people that computers can't do. They can't seek connections of different ways to use objects or or to be more um, innovative in a a process because that's not what they're designed to do. So society would be number one. Number two for me would be um, just the fear. I think there's this fear of looking silly or that if I'm going to be a, uh, if I'm going to be playful, I have to be the Steve Martin arrow through the head, balloon animal wearing like bow tie wearing crazy clown. And that's not true. So I try very much to be, and you've already seen here on this one, I haven't been really telling a whole lot of jokes or being super silly and, and obnoxious in this, but I can still be playful. I can still be open and be a professional and an adult. So that kind of takes me to, to my third big one is I think there's just a thing about age that when we uh, start getting to a teenage years, we start worrying about what other people think. And then when we get out of school, we start worrying about being professional and being taken seriously and making money. And we forget that, really up until the age 12, we were just worried about having the most fun. We were worried about being joyful and and enjoying the moment and, and living our life. And we weren't concerned about all of the other junk that gets in the way. And what I say to that one is really what's amazing is the stuff that brings you joy also brings you the success. It brings you the professionalism. It brings you the attraction of the other people that you're trying to impress. When you're a boring, stressed out robot that's depressed, (laughs) nobody wants to be around that. (laughs) And so it's actually going back to the play that will get you those things that you're most worried about and and fearful about as an adult.
0: What do you say to those people that say, hey, Mike, this sounds great, but I'm an introvert.
1: Ah, that's great. There is a bunch of play personality. So if you go to my website, shameless plug time, playfulhumans.com slash quiz, I created a playfulness quiz that there are at least 10 different playful personality types. So like I just mentioned, you don't have to be the class clown type. You don't have to be uh, Steve Martin, Robin Williams, uh, Jim Carrey to be a playful human. There are also people that like puzzles and, and board games, or there are people that like uh, exploring on their own in, in the woods, or or you know under water and, and snorkeling and stuff that you can do other things that you enjoy. There's playful types even that like to facilitate play for other people. So uh, Darshan, you might fit into this one because I found a lot of podcasters, including myself, like to do this. Is it's not really about me. I like facilitating this experience for other people. So I get joy by creating joyful experiences for other people, and that's called a producer play type, where um, people that like to host parties and, and things like that fit in to that one. Uh, there are, of course, people that like different types of social play or physical play, and a lot of sports uh, are obvious ones. So any type of body movement, dance, um, is another way that you can play, and you can do that alone or with other people or um, creative types. So a lot of people don't think about, uh, especially for introverts, but being a painter or a a writer or creating videos, uh, a lot of people don't realize that in radio, almost everybody is an introvert. So they love to be entertaining, but, If they were an extrovert, they wouldn't be in a room by themselves behind a microphone, (laughs) right? (laughs) They would be out in the party. They would be out in a club being a a DJ, not on the radio. So almost every radio personality I know has some excitement to them, but they're actually an introvert. They don't actually like mixing it up with, with people that much.
0: Interesting. So how do you empower people to experience fun, flow, freedom, and fulfillment, the four Fs you talk about?
1: I love it. I think you got to rediscover the power of play. You got to feel it. So what happened for me and this was a big aha moment that we we skipped. I had an experience in college where a friend of mine had a heart attack and died in the the room next to mine. And I kind of went into a downward spiral of, of like living in the moment and nothing matters, life is short and kind of figuring it out and it, I was really, you know, quite depressed for for quite a long time until I had this experience where I was playing with some coworkers and we were playing soccer and it got to be like, so funny, just funny things happen and people kept like falling and other people were getting upset. And then that escalated and they started laughing. And it was just one of those classic, you know, improvised play things where just like what you expected was not what happened. And it was all hysterical. And we were like crying, laughing, And I I felt that feeling and I was like, wow, I used to feel like this all the time when I was younger. I used to not have, I wasn't stressed out. I wasn't depressed. I wasn't worried about what people thought of me. Like I was just in this moment of feeling good and that euphoria of play. Um, The Portuguese have a word for it. It's called desbundar which is the, the feeling of your inhibitions dropping during play where you're kind of become fully present and you're just like, oh, wow, I'm living in the moment right now. And I think when you experience that feeling, you can understand that that's the way life should be, that that's the way, that's our actually our natural state where we're living our best life. It's not when we're grinding and we're pushing and we're stressed and we're, we're trying to make all this other stuff happen. It's when we've let those guards down and we've really just allowed ourselves to have this moment of, of joy in life. So I like to try to inspire that in other people. And that will uh, hopefully trigger those memories for them so they can remember what their childhood experiences of play were. So, uh, Sean, here's where I like to uh, do it. If you don't mind, do you, you want to play a game? Yeah, and sure. And see Let's if uh, we can have some fun and, and laugh with people? All right. I have, uh, three good, uh, questions for you. This is survey says you've probably seen it on TV before we surveyed hundred people. The, the top answers are on the card. If you get one of the top answers, uh, you win. So question number one, name something that cats and men have in common. Cats and men have in common whiskers whiskers. There you go. It's on there. Uh, that is our number four answer. Love sleeping. Number one, being lazy, sneaky. I I'm not sure I agree with that. Um, <laughs> Number five, likes petting. Uh, I think that's a a good answer. All right. Name a kind of place where people pretend to be paying attention. Oh, cocktail parties. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, The get-togethers are at number three. Um, I don't know. Movies was number four. That doesn't make sense to me. Uh, Or a concert or a play. Why would you pretend to be paying attention? I guess. You know, maybe at a play you didn't like. Uh but church and school were one and two. So I feel like the, those uh definitely fit there. All right, last one. This is one of my favorite questions. During a power failure, name something you can still turn on. Turn on your phone if it was charged. <laughs> uh there you go. This one must have I mean, the questions were done in 2019, but phone didn't make the list. It did uh, Surprisingly. <laughs> Flashlight, radio, water, stove, and spouse. Uh, spouse made the. There you the go, top number list. one. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I appreciate you playing. I think uh, playing. I love playing game shows with people. I run events for for corporate events, or private parties, or birthday parties, and and things. And it's amazing to me as you. I always see that moment. Like uh, people come in skeptical. They're not sure about it. Their guards are up. And then there's that one question that makes everybody laugh, or something funny happens, and their guards come down and they get into it, or the the score gets tied and they start taking it seriously, and you see just their body and their emotions uh, and their face change, and you go, oh, I got them. Uh, they they are into this, and and sometimes it takes five minutes, and sometimes it takes thirty five minutes, but. Usually by the end of the hour, people are, are always saying, man, that was really fun. We haven't done that in a while, uh, especially during the pandemic.
0: Do you think that this lack of play is really what contributes to burnout?
1: Yeah, uh, 100%. Uh, there's been a ton of research that, that shows that it does, but play deprivation is a huge problem in our, our society. And it basically, it creates all kinds of mental illness. So that could be serious stuff like uh, depression and, and even um, uh, there's one research that Dr. Stewart Brown looked at like it creates psychopaths and serial killers that <laughs> if they're deprived of play when they're, they're children, they what happens is you lock into that one right answer. So under stress, you get rigid and you think, okay, well the only way out of this is for me to uh, hurt myself or, or other people because you're not having options. But when you have play, you start getting more creative. You realize that sometimes you win and sometimes you lose and it's not all bad or that there are different ways to solve a problem. And your brain opens up those chemicals and those uh, neural pathways and connections that let you see other ways out. And so what happens in burnout is you're like, oh, my gosh, I have no choice but to go to work and grind and do this thing again. And there's no other options and that. I can't be happy doing anything else, or I can't get another job that i I like better or I can't follow my dreams or I can't get my boss uh to recognize me or I can't do this, and so we start limiting our options rather than opening them up and so if we simply uh there's two things: one is play does that for our brains and bodies. we've already talked about that number two is um uh, we build this conditioning and this resilience that allows us to get over the failure. So I've saved my, my best aha for last year. Uh, I got a chance to open for Billy Idol when he was here in Kansas City in about 2006. And I worked for the retro radio station. His opening act got sick and they called and said, hey, do you have anybody that would you know, could play music before the show. We need to, to kill about an hour. And, uh, I got volunteered cause I was the only one that does live stuff. I told you the rest of them are introverts. They don't want to go to a concert with thousands of people <laughs> and, <laughs> and be <laughs> on stage. So I talked to Billy Idol and his manager before the show. And they said, you know, play a lot of rock music. It's a, it's a rock show. Uh, don't play any Billy Idol songs cause we're going to play those later. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, you know, play whatever you play on the, the radio and, and do your thing. I said, perfect. Uh, I can do that. Uh, this is Billy Idol in the 2000s. So it's not like peak Billy Idol. It's all like soccer moms and, and old, you know, 30, 40 year old, uh, moms coming to see Billy Idol. And I was like, this is my crowd. I, I can crush this. Uh, cause I, I love the eighties and stuff. So I was playing songs like, uh, Jesse's girl and, uh, eight, six, seven, five, three Oh nine, Jenny, uh, and all kinds of what I thought was 80s rock that I associate with Billy Idol. i about three songs in, and the manager comes out and goes, I thought we said play rock music, like the Rolling Stones. And that's when panic set in, because I was a club DJ, and this is before Wi-Fi or anything. I only had the CDs that I had brought with me. And I don't know if you've ever paid attention, but there's about two rock songs that people dance to. You shook me all night long and pour some sugar on me. (laughs) And that's it. So I played those two songs. (laughs) And then I was desperately looking for other rock music. I found a Rolling Stones song. So I played that. I found an Aerosmith song. I was like, that'll buy me some time. And then I kind of played four rock songs in a row. I was like, okay, I can probably switch back to the retro music and stuff now and buy myself some more time because I literally, I was out of, out of song. So I played Casey and the Sunshine Band. It was do a little dance, make a little love and get down tonight. And I like that because I can make the joke, like not in that order, save the making love for the end of the night, but you feel free to do a little dance and get down if you want to. And I play the song and doosh, the lights come down, uh, the music goes off and I'm fired live on stage in front of uh, about 5,000 oh, people. No. I look over <laughs> to, to the side and the manager's like, you're done. Wow. And I was just like, oh, I don't even know what to, I, I can't do anything. I, I don't have a microphone or voice or anything. So I just pack up my stuff. I slink off stage. I do not collect my $200. I did not pass go. I just uh, get out of there. But what happened from there was I became a bulletproof performer. There's nothing on this podcast that can happen today that can be worse than that. Uh, there's nothing that can go wrong in a a speech or a sales training or a game show. That's going to be worse than getting fired by by 5,000 people in front of 5,000 people. And so, uh, that's what I was talking about there, where if you play, if you take those opportunities, if you try some things, you learn how to overcome difficulties. You, you build your physical and mental conditioning that when you have bad days, you go, oh, well, that's not that bad. I can get over that. Or I've had worse. Or I, There's going to be a new opportunity. I win too. And all of a sudden, all of those other problems start to feel smaller. And when you do that, that's how you get past stuff and how you keep moving along and you get out of those negative cycles. The one thing I've learned is that when you're having a bad
0: moment, you just kind of tell yourself, you know, it can always be worse, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. It can always be worse and it's always going to get better too, you know?
0: Yeah. And and going back to something you said earlier, the one of the revelations I had not that long ago was I've decided that when I meet someone new, I really try to find a way to make them smile and make me smile because that creates a win-win situation. And I think that's going back to kind of what you're saying is having fun. And that just makes, and it's amazing what a difference that makes in the connection you make with people as a result of that.
1: Well, yeah, but here's uh, what I think just to add on to that is it's actually a lot bigger than that for me because I agree, I love like Patch Adams. And when I saw that movie, I was like, he was trying and he was playing with the idea of how fast can I make a human connection with somebody? And I try and do that in my life too. But once you get them smiling, I mean, the good always wins. Because people who are worried about scarcity and trying to take or how can I use this person or, or what can I do to get them a return on their investment and they're trying really hard is uh, people don't want those people to win. People don't want to help them, right? If you act like, oh, I'm the biggest, baddest thing anybody's ever seen and I'm the most successful in my career and I talk about how great you are, people don't like that. They want to knock that person off the pedestal. They go, oh, well, he's already got more than I do. I don't need to help him. But if you struggle, if you laugh, if you play, if you you know build other people up, people want you around. They want to give you opportunities. They want to help you out. They go, "Oh man, I want to see uh, Darshan succeed because uh, I like him and he's awesome." And so you get more opportunities. It creates a synergistic effect that is much more powerful than even that first connection. Is they want to introduce you to other people and give you referrals because. Um, they know that you're going to make those people laugh and you're going to make them look good for introducing you to those people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the things you talk about, right? In, your, uh, in some of your uh, speeches and stuff. And that's the thing a little bit about social selling, correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, that's the whole idea is to be a go-giver. That's a book by Bob Berg. Uh, but even on social, there's no dislike button, right? So if you want to go viral, you have to do things that people like that makes them feel good. So uh, I do sales training. We've mentioned that, right? If I put put a post and go, hey, are you missing quota and terrified that you're gonna lose your job as a salesperson? Nobody's gonna go like, yep, sign me up. That's, let me tell all my friends that that's me, right? They can't relate to that. But if I can talk about positive things, if I can make it playful, if I can make jokes about what it's like to be a salesperson, or I can do something relatable that makes them feel good and raise the stature of salespeople, then they'll like that and they'll share that with other people. And, and that's how you create these networks of people that are helping you. And we're all helping each other build each other up. That's fun. Are there certain things you try to do on a daily basis that hone your imagination, creativity, humor, spontaneity, and sociability skills? Man, you hit my, my big five there. There is a couple of things I, I try to do. So number one, I think it is, um, I try to create more than I consume. So that's another thing in our society we didn't talk about earlier, but if you're just watching Netflix and, and doom scrolling on social media, you're not gonna have a great day. You're, you're not gonna have fun. It's been proven that's gonna make you more depressed. So if you shut that off and instead you make something, if you post on social media instead of reading it, good things happen. You, you're creating something, you're adding value to the world. Um, if you make a video uh, instead of watch one, good things happen. If you uh, shut all of that off and you just go play outside, <laughs> go for a walk, uh, better things will, will happen for you. So I think number one is create more than you, you consume. Number two for me is um, managing your expectations. Uh, and this is one that I still struggle with and I get sucked into a lot, but all of the commercials and all the advertisements and programming we see these days is designed to make us want more and buy more and try to consume more. And so if you can find a way to um, lower your desires, you end up getting more than you expect. If you expect and think that you deserve the world and you deserve to be Jeff Bezos, you're always going to be disappointed. There's always going to be somebody richer, you know, Uh, better looking (laughs) who has more friends or whatever you're never gonna gonna find that but if you can find a way to want less and manage your expectations and be grateful for what you have I think that adds uh, a lot to your happiness level and then the next thing for me is to um, try to uh, this is another book from from somebody else I forget the author's name right now but have you ever heard of hell yes or no so this is a decision-making framework. I highly recommend the, the book. It's from a guy in Silicon Valley. And, you know, a lot of um, apps or, or other things can get scope creep and things can blow up and people go, oh, well, yeah, it might be a little bit better if we threw this feature in there or if we gave them this button and things would, and it ends up getting so complicated that it makes the whole thing worse. But your life works the same way. If you keep saying yes to everything, if you respond to every email in your inbox and you do everything that other people ask you to do, you end up running out of time to do things for yourself. And so when I think about the type of job that I want or the podcast that I uh, want to appear on or um, even what I want for dinner, if I want to go uh, do something with my friends, it should be a hell yes. Your life should be like yes, I'm in this. Excites me. It brings me joy. It's a hell yes. Otherwise, it should just go in the no bucket. Just skip it, right? If it's just going to be another routine thing, let me check this off the box and let me enter. You know, uh, clear my email so that I can go home for the day. That's a that's a no. That doesn't need to be there. And so I think the more you can say no to things and people that wear you down that drains your energy that that sucks the life out of you and you can say hell yes to the things that bring you joy that excite you that you're passionate about the more happiness you'll feel long term and I, I think that's a, a big big thing are there any areas of play that you're researching or are there new types of play you're exploring i always try new games i'm always open to to checking out like a new board game or uh a game show on TV and I'm kind of reading the history of game shows. It's really interesting to find out, um, what makes a game interesting, right? Like why is family feud interesting to watch on television? And I think I've narrowed it down. I found some cool new research here. I was helping the university of Colorado with the project and, um, the researcher, the doctor said, uh, play is a movement between chaos and order. So if you think about like a ball is a really simple thing to play with. Every uh, mammal on the planet will play with a ball. And a ball is interesting because, you know, when you bounce it, especially, you know, outside in an unlevel surface, you never know what's going to happen. There's a chaos element to it. Right. And so, being able to catch this ball or to, you know, throw it somewhere that I want or things is a movement between chaos and order. And when you see that with Family Feud, it's there, they have the order of the answers that everybody else said, but they also have this chaos of, we don't know what this contestant (laughs) is gonna say, right? And so when we balance chaos and order together, it creates a magic in our life that I think is really powerful. And far too many people are focused on the order side of that. They want to control everything. They want everything in nice, neat boxes and for it to be clean. But what makes life interesting is when you spill stuff, uh, when you trip and fall, when you make a mess, when uh, you burn the food and now we have to improvise something else for dinner. That's what makes it interesting. And I've really been trying to focus on that movement and enjoying the movement between chaos and order in my life. Interesting. I think that might be behind with the success
0: and the popularity of Wordle. Have you been playing that?
1: Yeah. I mean, Wordle's a great example like that, right? When those tiles reveal whether you got, you know, yellow or green, it's that moment of, you know, the chaos is going to sort into some sort of order and it's going to be unexpected right. for me. But the other one I think about, uh, have you ever seen the wall? Uh-uh. The wall is basically a big Plinko board, right? They put balls in the top and they bounce down in different directions. And we don't know whether it's gonna land in one dollar or a million dollars. Right. So it's this moment of chaos that we get to watch safely, you know, without being in physical harm and see what happens. And that that spontaneity of that ball bouncing either direction and somebody, you know, winning a dollar or losing a million dollars or gaining a million dollars makes it interesting. Well, I've
0: discovered two other games since then. Uh, one is called cross wordle. We actually have to go backwards. So you actually get the word, but then you have to figure it you know, go backwards up. And another
1: one is nerdle,
0: which is not words, <laughs> but it's math.
1: <laughs> oh, math is interesting. I saw a Star Wars wordle uh, came out today too. And they're made up words from Star Wars universe. Yeah, that's it. Oh, interesting.
0: And so some parents are using Nerdle to help their uh, kids learn math. And they're enjoying doing that because again, as we're talking about, you it know, brings learning and fun together and they're actually doing quite well in math. That's the best way to learn. Yeah, yeah. So who in the world of play and having fun would you love to have lunch with and why?
1: I mentioned him already, but I think, growing up, my favorite comedian was Steve Martin. Uh, my mom had one of his comedy albums on, on record when I was a kid. And, uh, my, even my, my grandma and my family just really loved his movies and and his comedy. And he's an interesting mix like I am between nerd and comedian. And so I love somebody that's really intelligent, but is also not afraid to be silly. Uh, That's what I love when you when you said nerdle. I was like, man, you're speaking my language. <laughs> like somebody that is a nerd and playing games at the same time is brilliant. And I think getting to just see the real Steve Martin uh, at a dinner, you know, not on on television or something, would be really cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, check out nerdle. So my last question to you, now I know you're doing is, what's your joke of the day, or which what's the joke you want to share with us?
1: Oh man. That's a great question. I do always have a joke of the week. I always make up a fake sponsor on my podcast too. So if you, anybody's listening to this podcast, you probably listen to podcasts. You can look up playful humans and I, I trap myself. So now I have to write two jokes every week. I have to write a fake sponsor <laughs> and I have to write a, a joke of the week. So, um, my favorite fake sponsor right now is, um, this joke is brought to you by the eighties. When I think of the eighties, I think of a, a boom box, but that's just a stereotype. <laughs> Gee. All right, and then uh, the joke of the week. This is a new one. I I haven't tried yet, but um, Danny sets up his friend Andy to to go on a, a blind date with a, a friend of his, but Andy's a little worried about it. You know, he's never seen this this woman before, and uh, he asks his friend, "He's like, oh, you know, what if I do? If if she's ugly or or mean or or something, I I'm gonna be stuck with her all night." And Danny says. Uh, don't worry you know if if you know you don't like her when you first meet her, just start breathing heavy and you can you can fake an asthma attack and and you can get out of there and he said all right that, that'll work and he he shows up uh, at the restaurant and he sees the the girl walk through the door and he's awestruck she's just gorgeous he he's completely excited about the date he goes up and says, uh, hi, I'm Andy and she says <laughs> and she makes an asthma attack.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, I'm going to contribute a joke to your week, uh, weekly joke. How's that? I'll give you a joke. Oh yeah, for sure. that, oh, night, night, oh. Night, Now you got me in. So, you know, we're going to have some fun here. So I have this uh, friend and by the way, his name is Mike just by chance. And he decided to become a missionary. And so he went overseas and his mission was to teach the natives English. And so, you know, he also wanted to incorporate fun like yourself. So he said, you know, I'm not just going to sit up, stand up here and some something. I'm going to take a walk through the woods and I'll point to things and I'll say the words and they'll repeat after me. So, you know, he has a line proceeding after him through the woods and he comes upon a tree and he goes tree and I'll go tree, tree, tree right down the line. And then they walk along further and there's a bush and he says, bush and I go bush, bush, bush. But behind the bush is a couple in a very compromising position, and everybody has seen this. And he's like, Oh my God, what do I do? I'm not going to you know, teach them bad words and stuff. So being uh, quick on his feet, he says, riding bike. And they all kind of look at him like, okay. So they'll go riding bike, riding bike, riding bike. But then there's a gunshot. The guy behind the bush dies and Mike goes, Oh my God, he goes running back. He goes, why'd you shoot him? And the guy says, riding my bike.
1: <laughs> oh, that's good jokes are also so funny because it's that moment of, of chaos and unexpectedness, right. That we were talking yeah. about that you set up this pattern and order, and then you break the pattern. And that's what, uh, when it creates a good positive feeling, that's what makes us laugh and makes us joyful. And so exactly, uh, jokes are a great way to get yourself in the playful mindset and, and get out of taking things so seriously. I, I definitely encourage people to joke and laugh more.
0: Well, Mike, thank you very much. This was fun. I enjoyed it and uh, had some fun. And I look forward to, you know, continuing our conversation and uh, we'll have some more fun again.
1: I love it. I look forward to hearing more AHAs. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Have a great day.
0: Getting to AHA was brought to you by iResearch. To find out more about us, head to iResearch.com and make sure to search for Getting to AHA in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. And don't forget to click follow to ensure you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you for listening.